Hi, thank you for tuning in to another episode of State of the Arts, a podcast where art forms are embraced and artists are celebrated. I'm Lee, a hostess of Ceremonies, and this is episode 158. My guest this week is Natalia Perus, also known as the Saw Lady. She plays and composes on a saw and on bells. This talented musician is also a public performance artist and a filmmaker. She's played the musical saw with the Israeli Philharmonic Orchestra, among many other orchestras in the world. She has made television appearances on multiple news channels and has also made appearances in films as well. She is an award winner who has recorded records with other renowned artists. Thank you so much for joining me. It's such an honor to have you on my show. Thank you. It's an honor to be here and a pleasure. You just amaze me. I saw you performing in Grand Central Station and I thought, wow, she's going to be the perfect guest on my show. I have to get her card. Thank you. And I listened to While Mortals Sleep is such a beautiful song. It was ethereal. It was celestial. Thank you. Thank you. It was written by uh, Scott Munson for my film by the same name, While Mortals Sleep. And it's uh, it's about an angel. So uh, the sound of the saw in this uh, film evokes the sound of an angel singing. Beautiful. I have to see the film now. <laughs> uh, the film will be um, screened next at the Triborough Film Festival on January 27th. It's the second film festival that uh, it's being screened at. So I'm very excited about it. And uh, you'll be there too. Of course. I definitely will be coming. And uh, my husband too. We actually make indie films ourselves. Oh, goodness. Oh, that's fantastic. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, we're on a few um, projects right now. That's well, if, you ever need, if you ever need a musical song on one of your soundtracks, let me know. Thank you. Yes, that'd be great. We'd love to work with you. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> And I listened to One River. That was just beautiful. It just really touched me. I think that it was appropriate for the holiday season. Thank you. Uh, yeah, that was uh, written by the same composer, Scott Munson, who is my composer in residence. <laughs> That's great that you have a composer that you work with. And you're a public performer as well. You reach so many people by performing in public locations all over the city. How did you get started with that? How did I get started with playing, you mean, in public spaces? Yes. Ah, wow, that was so long ago. Uh, <laughs> um, it happened by chance. It's not really something that I, I planned out. It is tied with how I got uh, started with playing the saw. Uh, back in those days, I had a job selling souvenirs at the Broadway theaters. And in this job, I had a lot of free time because I only had to work when the audience was walking into the show, out of the show and during intermission. But in between, I was free to do whatever I wanted. So I used to bring the saw to work with me. And in my free time, I used to sit outside. There was a parking lot adjacent to the theater where I worked. And I just sat there in the corner. I didn't want to disturb anybody. You know, I was out of the way and I was just basically teaching myself to play. And what happened was one day I was practicing and this guy and his son walked by me and they stopped to listen. And then the guy put his hand in his pocket. He took out a $5 bill and he handed it to me. And I was like, 
why are you handing me money? And he was like, well, we really enjoyed hearing you play and we just want to show our appreciation. And I was like, wow. Uh, so I went into the theater to tell my friends, my coworkers, what just happened. And they were like, oh, you have to go and play in front of the theater during intermission. That's when all the uh, the audience who smokes, you know, they go out to smoke cigarettes. And that's when buskers, street performers, come to perform for them. And so my friends were like, oh, you got to do that. And I was like, no, no, I'm just learning to play the song. You know, I'm, I don't, I'm, you know, I have no intention to perform. It's just a hobby, you know. But my friends were like, no way, you got to do it. They basically forced me, not during our intermission, because we all have to work during our intermission, but the theater next door had a longer show. So their intermission was after ours. So basically my friends dragged me out, placed me in front of the next door theater. They placed an empty box in front of me. One of them put a dollar bill inside the box, and then they all stood back to see what would happen. So I had no choice, you know, the, the smoking audience started coming out. So I started to play and people gathered around me and people were clapping. And then people were taking my picture and, you know, were all so enthusiastic about my playing. They started putting money in the box. And at the end of the 15 minute intermission, there was as much money in the box as I was making at work that day. So that's when I thought, okay, uh, maybe I should change the way I'm thinking here. Maybe I should not be practicing at a remote corner of a parking lot. Maybe I should be practicing on the street where there are people. So at first I was shy. So I just played on the street where the theater was. I mean, it still is. <laughs> um, uh, it's a side street. So there are not that many people walking on it. Uh, but still, you know, I played there and there were people walking by and everybody was so nice and enthusiastic and encouraging. People would stop to talk with me. Uh, people would take my picture. You know, I had all this interaction with people, with strangers that gave me energy. It gave me motivation to continue to practice. It, it was a very supportive atmosphere. So it uh, got my confidence boosted. And one day I ventured around the corner onto the big times, which is Broadway. Broadway is a big street, lots of foot traffic, lots of tourists, many people. And I'm playing and everybody's like stopping to take pictures of me and talk with me. And, and it was so fun and also very helpful to me because the truth is I'm a lazy Libra. If I'm left to practice at home by myself, I get distracted so easily. Like I'm trying to practice, but oh, there's my cat who wants to play with me or, oh, let me just go eat something. Or before you know it, I'm not practicing. On the street, I had no choice because on Broadway, sometimes I would want to take a break people will not let me. Uh, people will just come and stand in front of me and be like, oh, you play that thing. Okay, let me see. And they will not take me, not, not let me take a break. And that was great for me because it forced me to practice. It forced me to play. And so I got better and better thanks to all these people. And what happened next was 
winter came. Cold, rain, snow. I couldn't play outside anymore. It was too cold. But I got addicted to the situation of being surrounded by people as I'm playing. So I didn't want to stop. So what could I do? So I thought, okay, well, let me venture down into the subway. I didn't know anything about playing in the subway. It, was, it seemed a little scary to me, but I've seen people do it. So I said to myself, okay, I'm going to go and try. And if I don't like it, I'm not going to stay. You know, nobody's making me. I don't have to do it. I'm choosing to do it. So let me go and try at the nearest subway station to where I worked, which happened to be the Times Square subway station. And I went down to the uh, downtown NNR platform because that's where I've seen people play. And I sat down and I started to play. And the first thing that happened was I noticed the acoustics. The acoustics in the subway is phenomenal. And I can tell you, I've played at many prominent stages since, you know, like Carnegie Hall, uh, Madison Square Garden, the acoustics in the subway rivals that of the best uh, concert halls because of the enormous space, the very tall ceilings and the materials, I guess it's concrete or tile or whatever it is that it's made out of. It, it makes the sound, it augments the sound without amplification. It's like, like natural reverb gets added to the sound of the soul when I'm in the subway. And because the space is not exactly like a square or rectangle, it's like oddly shaped with um, like different angles that the sound can bounce off of one wall and ricochet to another. And, and so it creates this amazing acoustics and for a musician, playing in good acoustics is like candy to a child. So right away, I was like, okay, I never want to go back upstairs on, on, the, on the street because this, this acoustics is phenomenal. And my instrument, the saw, is just a blade. It doesn't have a resonating box, like let's say a violin. It, it has the strings, but it has a wood resonating box, which augments the sound. So when I was playing outside on the street, my sound was very small, very thin, because there was no resonating box. In the subway, the space becomes my resonating box. And so it's much more fun to, to play in, and I think it's much more fun to, for, for people to listen to, because it sounds better. And my fears of uh, playing in the subway were dispelled. People in the subway were just as nice as upstairs on the street. And so I just stayed. How did you choose the saw and the bells as the, your instruments? This is so unique and special. No, you're right. <laughs> you're right. It is not something that your mother would send you to school for, particularly the saw. I realized that the concept of playing a tool as a musical instrument might be as bizarre as someone trying to cut a log in half with a cello. I get it that it might be baffling to some that one can regard with tenderness an instrument that is usually associated with destruction, bloodbaths and uh, deforestation. But that is precisely why I love it so much. For me, playing the saw 
has a poetic meaning as well as a musical one, showing that everything in life has a destructive side as well as a creative side. And it's your choice which one to use. So wonderful. And you turn something beautiful out of, you know, a certain tool that has negative connotations to it. Exactly, exactly. So that is the the appeal for me. Uh, besides the the angelic uh, sound of it, and, you know, and uh, the bells bells uh, were a different story. I actually started ringing a different type of bells than the bells that I ring today. Today I ring English handbells, uh, which are bells that are made for music. But when I started, I started with cowbells, and when I say cowbells, I don't mean the percussion instrument. I mean actual bells that were produced as an aid to farmers. Uh, farmers put them on their cow's necks, either to uh, um, scare away predators or as it was in the case where I first saw it, uh, which was, it happened to be in Switzerland. Uh, there, farmers have their, their cow herds roam just freely on the mountains. And so for them to tell which cows belong to which farmer, each farmer puts bells of a different pitch on the necks of their cows. And my parents and I were just driving around the countryside in Switzerland with uh, the car windows rolled down. And I, I said to my parents, wow, listen how, you know, each herd has a different pitch of a, of a bell on their necks. Wouldn't it be fun to collect the different, all the different pitches and try to play music on them? So my father was like, okay, I'm game. Let's try to do that. And we went to all these different stores and we, we collected all, like a, an octave of these bells. And at the hotel room, I tried playing like happy birthday to you on these cowbells and it worked. So, you know, we came back to New York and I started uh, uh, performing, playing music on the cowbells. The cowbells have a very jolly sound because the clapper is loose, but because it is loose, it's very difficult to control. Then one day I was uh, performing at a concert at a church and this group of bell ringers were performing at this church. And that was the first time that I've encountered bells that were made for music. And that's when I made the switch to these bells. And those are the bells that I play today. Incredible. And <laughs> I've seen some of the pictures. You're in these beautiful churches in lovely dresses it's just magical thank you <laughs> yes. thank you I like creating beautiful atmospheres and uh, involving a visual with the sound oh I see the tail of your cat oh yes he's so cute <laughs> he's, joining, he's joining us for the interview <laughs> oh. right maybe the cat has a question <laughs> he likes music <laughs> that's great oh here he is hi say hi simba oh he's running oh, simba <laughs> he's the lion king <laughs> ah. you know the the second time i saw you so i had your card already and i was planning to reach out to you and the second time i saw you was on halloween you were in grand central and you were dressed as a witch and i had a I, I had a very crazy day that day and I was tired and from all the stress and you just made me smile. You made me so happy 
when I saw oh. you dressed as a witch playing yeah. the song. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I love Halloween. And uh, for years now, that has been my tradition to dress up as a witch and play uh, in the subway. People particularly like when I play the music from uh, the Harry Potter films. Sometimes I play um, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And that's kind of like ironic because I'm dressed as a witch. And, you know, it's from the Wizard of Oz where the witch was the bad person. And it's a little uh, <laughs> irony going on there. Uh, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. And Halloween just lends itself so well to the sound of the saw, which is haunting and uh, can be a little bit spooky. Halloween is, uh, I would say, my busiest time of the year as a musical saw performer. <laughs> I have a lot of Halloween gigs. And you played at a graveyard. That must have been some experience. I love playing at cemeteries. Yeah, it's a very special atmosphere. And I do reenactments of uh, like Victorian times. So I'm dressed uh, in a black Victorian dress with a black veil over my face as a widow. Uh, sometimes I, I dress up as a ghost playing the saw. Usually the events have people like walk around the cemetery until they happen to come across me. So sometimes before I actually play, I walk around so that people get to just see a glimpse of this uh, mysterious figure walking around. And it's just so much fun. How exciting. And you embody the characters that you play too, along with your music. It becomes an entire sh show. It's a production. Thank you. That's that's exactly you. You you really nailed it. That's exactly what I try to uh, to present. Not just a concert of music, but complete miniature performances. Oh, lovely! You have projects that you're working on currently. Anything you want to give us a sneak peek of? Well, uh, right now it's December, so this is bell season. And I'm ringing in a lot of places, particularly at historic Richmond town on Staten Island, where I will be dressed as a Victorian lady, not a ghost, no, not in black, in white, but uh, I'll be uh, walking around uh, ringing um, Christmas carols, holding three bells in each hand. So I don't need a table. I, you know, I can just walk around and or be wherever uh, in whatever historic house they have there and, and ring. Uh, I'll be doing the same thing at the historic merchant house in Manhattan and um, other places. So December is dedicated uh, mostly to bell ringing for me. Uh, once that is over, um, I will uh, uh, get back to working on a uh, music video that I'm working on in which I will play the saw, but I will also sing which is exciting for me because that's different. That's something new that I'm going to try. This video is going to be about nostalgia, about old things. Hopefully it will be magical. How incredible. I'm sure it will be too. All your work is just it's so beautiful and enchanting. Thank you. It's so exciting. And Saw playing, does it have a history? It, uh, it sure does. Uh, even though a lot of people today have never encountered saw playing. Uh, and so when they uh, run across me in the subway, a lot of people ask me, oh, did you invent this? 
But uh, the truth is that it's a very old art form that dates back 300 years. And it has a, an interesting history. It was started uh, by carpenters, uh, you know, woodworkers, lumberjacks, uh, who were working with uh, very large two-man saws. And they were in the forest cutting a tree. And uh, as they were cutting the tree, a chunk of uh, wood came off of the tree and, and hit the blade. And the sound came out. So the lumberjacks were like, oh, wow, that was cool. Let's try to do this on purpose. So at first, saw playing was done by hitting the, the blade with a hammer, a mallet, whatever. And the interesting thing is that it was discovered by, uh, by uh, woodcutters in many different countries around the world without one knowing of the other. So there's no one country that can claim the origin. And I really like that, that it's really an international art form. It belongs to everybody. Then, uh, so what you can imagine is you can imagine like these lumberjacks in the forest sitting uh, uh, around the fire during their um, lunchtime, singing folk songs and accompanying themselves on what they had in the middle of the forest. They didn't have a piano. They didn't have, you know, a guitar or whatever. They had their saws, their tools. So they accompanied themselves on the saw. So at first it was a folk tradition. Um, but then it evolved. First, it was it it was discovered by, um, believe it or not, church people, missionaries, and priests. They discovered it because they were traveling a lot and like they were overseas, and wherever they went, they couldn't really take too much with them. Uh, so they couldn't really take musical instruments with them, but tools they had to take because they built churches wherever they went. So they had saws. And so missionaries used to use their saws to lead their congregations in the singing of hymns. You know, when they taught people the melody of a hymn, they would use the saw because that's what they had. And actually the sound of the saw lends itself very well to uh, liturgical music. To, uh, to this day, I actually know, uh, particularly um, in Scandinavia, I, I have met a few uh, uh, priests who still play saws today at their churches, you know, leading the congregation in the singing. So that's why I continue the tradition and I also play a lot at different churches. Then what happened was, oh, and at that point, I have to say people were already bowing the the saw with a bow that was discovered uh, by chance you know people were like oh we can bow a string like on a violin or a cello uh percussionists know that they can uh bow uh cymbals or the bars of a, a vibraphone or you know so anything that is made of metal you can bow uh so somebody just people were just like oh let's try to bow the saw and it works in exactly the same way as bowing a stringed instrument uh, so then the entertainment industry discovered saw playing and it was used a lot by clowns in Europe, in circuses. In England, it was used in uh, a type of entertainment that was called music hall, which was very similar to what we had here in the United States, vaudeville, which was basically a variety show with different acts. So there would be one act of a person playing a saw. And that's what it became really popular, particularly uh, uh, in the United States, 
there was practically no vaudeville show without a soul player in it, either as a soloist or with a band. There were a lot of uh, Argentinian bands playing tangos that had uh, soul players as part of the band. Um, here in New York City, there was the Ziegfeld Follies, which was the largest vaudeville show in the world. It was the most coveted show by performers to perform at. And it had, sure enough, an act of uh, a guy playing musical saw accompanied by a lady on harp. So it was very popular. But then something happened to make it almost disappear. And that was World War II. During World War II, first of all, everything made of metal was taken to the war effort. People melted down stuff that was made of metal in order to make ammunition. And no new saws, of course, were being manufactured because all the metal went to the war effort. To play a saw, you need a saw that is not rusty. So you need a new saw. So there were no new saws, that's one reason. Another reason is back then, most saw players were men. I don't know why, maybe because most carpenters were men, uh, maybe because to bend the blade, you need a lot of muscle. I don't know why most of the saw players were men and all the men went to war. So there was no one to teach the younger generation this art form. And another reason why it disappeared is because vaudeville, which was the place of employment for saw players, ceased to exist. You know, this form of this art form of entertainment just, you know, it got replaced by other things. So for all these reasons, saw playing basically almost disappeared to the point of today, people are asking me if I've invented it, but I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> that is so amazing. It's just such an incredible, rich history. And, just you know, it's wonderful that you're bringing it back into society today it's, it's so you know an incredible thing to have an artist doing this thank you thank you i i think that saw playing is uh particularly fit for new york city because the musical saw is just like new york city it's tough but it's beautiful oh that's perfect it's not a metaphor yeah how can people reach you if they'd like to find out more information about you? I know you have a website and you're on Instagram and Facebook. Sawlady.com. That's my website. Facebook and on Twitter, I'm Sawlady. But on Instagram, somebody already took that name. So I'm the Sawlady. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious, how did you get involved with the bells? Was it after you taught yourself the saw? Uh, it came basically around the same time, and uh, we spoke about it before, how I uh, I was in Switzerland and I saw the the, uh, the cowbells, and that was my inspiration. You're self-taught also? The I'm self-taught, yeah. When I first started with the saw, my mother was like, oh, you can't learn to play a musical instrument by yourself. You have to go find a teacher. So I tried to find a teacher, but I couldn't find anybody. So I, I was forced to be self-taught and basically reinvent the wheel for myself, if you will. And that ended up being a blessing in disguise because even though I had many questions and I had no one to ask, you know, I, I had no one to turn to for help with learning how to play. Because of it, I ended up inventing my own technique 
And because there was no one there to tell me, oh, you are supposed to do this. You're not supposed to do that. I just went ahead and did my own thing. And I didn't know that traditionally saw playing was always slow and legato. I wanted to play fast. Uh, So I invented a technique where I snap the blade to make it go directly from one note to the other without sliding. Uh, That ended up ameliorating the technique of saw playing. And uh, even though at first other saw players were skeptic and they were like, you know, some older saw players that I met, they said to me, oh, no, no, you you don't play the saw like that. You only play slow. But today uh, there are lots of saw players who are using uh, the snapping technique. And uh, basically um, I'm I'm, uh, humbled that I, I helped the art form advance a little bit <laughs> that's incredible you are a pioneer in saw playing thank you <laughs> wow do you ever combine them do you ever play the saw along with the bells is it possible not at once <laughs> not at the same time but in recordings it's possible because you can overdub that makes sense yes then yeah. you merge the two sounds yeah yeah i mean i only have two hands still well i would love to hear those recordings (laughs) thank you uh you can find me on spotify on uh, apple music you know wherever uh you stream your music from just uh look for saw lady i encourage all of you listeners to check out her work she is an amazing artist an amazing entertainer and an amazing person Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on your uh, podcast. Oh, it was absolutely my pleasure and my honor. Oh, that's my husband, Joe. <laughs> oh, hi. Heard your music <laughs> sounds amazing. The saw is so cool. I've never heard that before. I'm a musician too, so. Oh, very good observation. Uh, if we have uh, a little bit of time left, I just want to mention that um, when Leon Theremin was inventing his uh, instrument, the saw that's when the saw was at the height of its popularity and that's why it sounds the theremin sounds so much like a saw because leon theremin did an excellent job imitating its sound uh, okay so the popularity so it's 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 connected the saw and the theremin the leon theremin uh, when he was inventing his instrument he lived in new york city actually and uh, we were talking about the history of the saw before just at those times uh which is before world war ii the saw, saw playing was very popular and that's what inspired Leon Theremin to aim at recreating that sound which is kind of cool that the first electronic musical instrument did not imitate a flute or a piano or a cello it imitated a saw it's incredible (laughs) I'm a piano player and I play guitar and I'm I'm really a composer that's really what I've been doing oh fabulous composer and amateur filmmaker we've been making film yeah. yeah. Okay. Been... If you ever need a saw player on one of your tunes, you know where to find one. Do you read music too? I do. Yeah. But I, um, I when I learn to play a tune, uh, it's a combination of looking at the music and by ear because there's no indication on the blade as to where the notes are. So it has to be by ear, but the sheet music definitely helps a lot. Okay. How is there a notation? Can I notate it? Like on a Yeah, regular notation as you would for a flute or, or a violin or whatever. Uh, in G clef, 
and you write it on the staff, even though it might sound an octave higher, you write it on the staff because otherwise there will be too many ledger lines, you know? The notes like bend and they slide at like a portamento or something like that, or is it? Yes, uh, uh, they do slide. I mean, um, uh, I aim to uh, not slide uh, whenever uh, possible. There's also always a tiny bit of a slide that is unavoidable. But if you want like a real portamento, then you indicate it that you want right. it. And that works best in large intervals. Small intervals don't really lend themselves to that so much. And the range is basically, the, the nice range is from G up to two octaves above, like G above middle C up to two octaves above that. You can slide higher than that and you can slide lower than that, like down to maybe E at the most, but I don't recommend it because the extremes are, are they sound dirty. There's no much control over the sounds there. Uh, there's no control of volume at all there. Uh, so it's not as loud. So it's best to avoid the extremes. But G above middle C and two octaves above, that's... I'm going to have to do some research. I'm going to have to research to see how I could uh, score something. I, if I ever have a project where I need like... Um, you do like a lot of like kind of like horror kind of music. Horror. That's my thing. Is there anything you'd like to say to the listeners? Anything at all? The floor is open. I hope that maybe uh, this podcast might make you uh, consider that maybe um, Home Depot might be the next guitar center. Hey. <laughs> and if you happen to see me playing in the subway please come and say hi she is an incredible entertainer i love your work so much thank you <laughs> and thank you again for joining me on state of the arts natalia you have been such an incredible guest this has been such a treat and thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of State of the Arts. I encourage all of you to stay safe, stay positive, and stay true to your dreams. Take care, everybody.